18 this morning, and uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'm in verse 9. If you're joining us today for the first time, welcome. Uh, on behalf of Summit Church and Summit Church family, we're glad to have you with us here. And uh, as you search for a church home, we pray God's blessing and direction in your life. But it's good to have you here today. At this church, we are, as I said, teaching the Bible one book at a time, verse by verse, believing that God and His Word are enough, okay? The Word is truth. Jesus is truth. We're in pursuit of truth. Now, as we come to our text today, Jesus is in the final months of His life. He's talking more and more about the coming of the kingdom. How many of you look forward to the coming of the kingdom? Huh? Yeah. Well, he's teaching more and more about the coming of the kingdom. Last week that we saw the potential of us fainting as we await the coming of the kingdom. Okay, we've heard stories of people waiting in line for tickets on hot days that pass out waiting in line. Okay, well, the road to Christ's coming can seem like a long road and people can pass out in the course of the wait. Okay, but Jesus says, pray. Okay, pray and do not faint. And so we talked about that last week. Today we see the posture of preparing for for the Lord's coming, and that is a posture of brokenness before God, that it's not by our own goodness that we're ever going to stand before God, but it's based upon His goodness. Okay? We don't stand before God based on our goodness. We stand before the Lord based on His goodness, especially shown through the sacrifice of His Son, on the cross. And so this is the posture of humility. And this is, comes out loud and clear, picking it up in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And we'll see this parable that's going to follow in, in just a moment. Now look at that. Okay, he's talking to those who are confident of their own righteousness and had a tendency to look down on everybody else. Now, frankly, there, there are a number of things that I could stand before you today with that uh, would cause me to gloat in wonderful things about my life and my circumstances that would cause me to look down on everybody else. Okay? For, for example, I am really glad to pastor this church. Okay? I don't deal with the problems that I know a lot of pastors deal with in our country because, you know... Anybody could pastor you guys. You're a great bunch. And, and, and oftentimes I hear how friendly you are. Okay, that People enjoy coming here because they receive kindness from you. So I could gloat on that and I could say, thank you, God, that our church is a friendly church and thank you that we're not like all those other churches. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Gloating in righteousness. I could gloat that I've been married to this dear woman, Valerie, for 26 years and we like each other and I could stand up here and tell you that if only you were like me you could have the same kind of marriage too and I've heard pastors do that you know put myself up on a pedestal uh, last week my daughter Carly who's a senior in college uh, was invited to go as a nanny with a family to um, oh what's the name of that place up there Branson Missouri okay to travel with them and uh, we get a call from this couple who just want us to know that we are the greatest parents in the world. 
because our daughter is absolutely perfect. And then they went on to tell us how all of their older children have problems and issues. And just look at Carly. We must be amazing parents. And I looked at Valerie and I said, you know, I just don't think we get any credit for that. It's a gift. But I could gloat in that and I could say, aren't we amazing parents and what's wrong with all the rest of you people? Okay? Yeah. So, so we see here that the problem that Jesus is addressing is a problem that, that we can all relate to because we all love a posture to where we feel like we're not status quo, but maybe we're just above, okay? Right? A position to where we can feel good about our position in life and so we can look at others and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. So this is very, very, very relative. The opposite of humility is pride. This is the spirit of the Pharisees the religious elite, the religious establishment that, that loves to put men up on platforms so that people can look at them. And one of my greatest shocks in ministry was that you put me up on a platform and I'm an easy target to be shot at. And that's why a number of years ago I, I started standing before you guys and say, hey, you want to take shots at me? I'll take the first one. Because I walk the same walk that you walk. And please don't hold me up there because that's only a place of vulnerability. We are here to lift up Jesus and Jesus alone and no man. Okay, it's Except by the grace of God go I. And it's based on that grace that we stand before you or I stand before you today. But Jesus in our study of Luke has had a number of expressions for people like these Pharisees. He described them as, as debtors who are so bankrupt before God that there's no way they would ever pay their debt. Well, that sounds a lot like you and me, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the basis by which we approach Christ. He described them as guests invited to a meal who are always vying for the best seats in the house. He described them as sons who are so proud of their personal goodness that they can't even begin to see the needs that are all around them. He described them as being so righteous in themselves that they have no concept of God's great kindness being able to reach to the worst of sinners. And he addressed them as uh, those who know how to look good on the outside as to, so as to make an impression, but inside they are greedy and full of pride to the point that they love to be greeted on the streets, you know, because they are the Pharisees. But the sad reality here is that these guys were quite deluded in their thinking. And we can become deluded in our thinking as well. These guys were so deluded that they literally believed that they were right and Jesus was wrong. They were so deluded in their thinking they couldn't grasp the fact that it was a personal, dynamic, vital relationship with the living God that mattered and not trying to fulfill a whole bunch of external religious rules and laws that the church wants to impose. Okay? Now, do any of us struggle with self-righteousness? Do any of us struggle with a tendency to look down at others? I think we've kind of backed that up a little bit and shown that this applies to all of us because the sad reality is that we can become so deluded as to begin to think that somehow our opportunity to stand before God is based upon some good thing we have done or some good thing we haven't done or something we've overcome and lose sight of the fact that all of this is made possible 
through what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. What's the primary cause of getting to this place of delusion? Well, I've given it the title spiritual amnesia. To delude, right? To mislead the mind or the judgment of. My favorite definition of is, is simply of this is simply to forget, to convince ourselves of a, of a lie. You know, eat lots of ice cream because it's great for the diet. Okay, that's deluded thinking, and that's what we're talking about here here today. Now, there's three areas in which we tend to forget and get deluded. Okay, so I want to walk through these with you because they're so valuable. But this first one to me just rings a bell. Ding, that's it. Okay, so I put it first for a reason, because if I were to pick one, this would be the one. And it goes like this. We forget where we have come from. I love the way the Apostle Paul describes it to the church at Ephesus when he says this. Talking to us, in fact, today, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So simple application here is that we must never forget the pit from which God has rescued us. Okay. Now, if if you're like my dear wife, then you probably would say, I don't remember a pit in my life. Well, then that's a gift from God as well, because it's to recognize where you could have been, except that he has given you this incredible gift. So some of us know what it is to be pulled out of the pit. Some of us, by the grace of God, have not experienced what that pit is all about. Okay. so uh, don't forget your potential. (laughs) Apart from Christ, don't forget where you have come from. The second one is this. We forget who saved us. Going on in that passage in Ephesians 2, going to verse 4. But because of his great love for us. Whose great love? God's great love. Yeah, because of his great love. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Amen? Absolutely. Never forget that if God can save you, he can save anybody. In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them that if God can save you, he can save anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now just tell that person thanks for the reminder. <laughs> that is the reality that we not forget the pit from which God has rescued us. Number 3. We forget what proper fruit looks like. Okay, jumping ahead in Ephesians 5 uh, to Ephesians 5, excuse me. Where it says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it's, it's to love and show grace out of the love and grace that God has shown us. That is really what it's all about. And when we forget these things, we find ourselves in a state of spiritual amnesia. We somehow convince ourselves that there's something we did right to posture ourselves in this position of blessing and all of those other people must surely have done something to position, have positioned themselves 
in a state of hell in which they live. And so that helps us to feel pretty content about ourselves. And that, my friends, is the spirit of the Pharisee. We don't ever want to get, get there. We don't ever want to forget the pit from which God has rescued us. Uh, we don't ever want to forget that if God can rescue us, that there's no one outside of His reach. And we don't ever want to forget that if, if, if we're going to demonstrate Christ in any way, it's not going to be because we show up to church every Sunday. It's not because we get the church, kids to church every Sunday. It's not because we wear the right clothes when we come to church on Sunday. And it's not because we don't smoke cigarettes or never have. And it's not because we drink alcohol or don't drink alcohol and never have. It's because of God's great love and God's great kindness. Okay? It's not going to be because you don't have any tattoos on your body. It's not going to be because you don't have more than two piercings. Okay? It's going to be because of, boy, am I, am I meddling? Wow. You know, I just, I, we just need to be reminded that everybody is within God's grasp. And if God can save you, emphasis on you, He can save anybody. Right? So, all right. So now uh, we come to this parable. And as we come to the parable that Jesus is going to teach, you need to keep in mind the distinction here that the, the words tax collector and worst of sinners... In this setting in which Jesus is living, these terms are synonymous. Tax collector, worst of sinners. Because these tax collectors were betrayers of their own people. Okay, Hired by the Roman government to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. Right? They could get rich by overtaxing them. So they were, these were the most hated and despised people in town. Tax collectors, synonymous with worst of sinners. Now contrast that with these Pharisees, these guys who strut around in the religious garb and in our positions of respect. Now, watch how Jesus just tears this all apart, okay, in this parable. He says, verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. They're in church together, worshiping together. God, thank you that I'm not like this guy sitting next to me. Huh? Now, stop elbowing each other. <laughs> and, and then he gives this emphasis. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And all God's people said, whoopee. Right? All right, so I want you to see how this, this Pharisee is deluded in his own thinking. First, he's deluded about prayer. Because if you notice, he's, he prays about himself. Jesus says he stood up and prayed about himself. So what he has come to understand is prayer is all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. Prayer is about what I deserve. And so this is the only basis by which to approach God. But mostly, this Pharisee saw prayer as an opportunity for himself to look good. People would hear him pray and think, oh, if only I were so spiritual as to be able to pray like you, when in reality he's saying, look at me, affirm me, give me credit 
value me, substantiate me, okay? This is what's going on here. This Pharisee needs to be validated. And Jesus warned against the Spirit in Matthew 6 when He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus is confronting the spirit of the Pharisee that causes him to gloat in himself because people love to hear him pray and they even told himself, told him so. Oh, Pharisee, you are so spiritual. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad you see that in me. Okay, but it's in his own humanness, himself needing to be validated. It has nothing to do with relationship with God. So the application here is that in prayer, prayer will only be effective when we finally get beyond ourselves and realize it's about Him and about His glory. Okay, this is what the basis of prayer is. The Pharisee prayed about himself. Secondly, this Pharisee was deluded about his position before God. And I heard you guys chuckle just a little bit when you read the words because it's almost hilarious to read this stuff. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And and frankly, I've I've heard this taught in church, the the emphasis of, and and God have mercy on my soul. I'm glad, you know, uh, Wayne Cadero says there's no such thing as a bad teacher because even a bad teacher can teach you things. He'll teach you things not to do. But to hear preachers stand up and, and give this image of only if only we could go back and do life like it was in the 50s without any reality of, of we live where we live. But the most troubling thing about his statement here, I think that I'm not like other people, I like to use the phrase, it's like grading on the curve. Okay? You know the term grading on the curve. Grading on the curve, instead of having a standardized way of measuring results, for example, 94% and above is an A, right? 86% and above is a B. Or maybe you like those teachers who had 90% is an A, huh? And 80% is a B. That seems to have gone away. Instead, what they do is they take the medium of the grade, right? Divide the class down the middle and say, okay, so these people have done better than average. The people in the middle have done average. And these people over here have done less than average. So it says so many will pass and so many will fail. And the danger of grading on the curve is that it puts us in this position where we say, it's like saying to God, God, I am, I'm so glad that I'm not as bad as all these people over here, though I realize that I'm not as good as these people over here. So surely you will welcome me into your kingdom because, you know, I I at least fare average. It's terrible thinking because you see what just happened there? It just said, I don't care what happens to all these people over here. Let God wipe them out so long as I pass the test. That's horrible because God's grace is sufficient for everyone. You see, no one has to be, well, we're all disqualified, that's the bad news, but we're all accepted based on His kindness and not our performance. Okay, That's really what what needs to be seen here. Now, this guy really emphasizes how good he is because the fact is, according to Jewish law, they were only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. Did you notice how often this guy fasts? Twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays. Oh man, I'm so good. Huh? 
And then did you, emphasize, did you notice his emphasis on how he tithes on everything? See, what they would do, these guys would, would even, they, they like to raise their own herbs, and, and they would tithe on their herbs. And it was like, okay, see, I've outdone you here, because you're all, getting, you're all tithing on what you're getting paid, but look at me, I'm tithing even on these little things over here. So it's all about me, and, and it's all about my glory. It has nothing to do with relationship with God, but it has everything to do with what people think about me, because as long as people are patting me on the back, God will see that, and I feel good about myself. Yeah. And we do that in church. We want to be accepted. Listen, I was so on fire as a young believer, but when I really measure it, a lot of it was because I was trying so hard to be accepted and to fit in. I didn't look anything like those church people did. And they didn't know quite what to do with me. But I was willing to do whatever it took to fit in and to do well. So this poses a series of of questions here. Why do we do the things that we do? Do we do it to feel justified? Do we do it to feel validated? Do we come to church to network? Do we come to church because it's good for our business? See, these are the wrong reasons. But David understood the proper heart. And this is really the crux of this message today. Psalm 51, verse 17, when he says this. If you really want to know what worship is, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, you come broken before God and that's the basis of His acceptance. Now I know... In Romans 12, it says we are to offer our bodies to Him as living sacrifices. But frankly, that's part of the brokenness. It's like, I don't bring any good thing to you. I just present myself to you just as I am. You have your way with me. Take me, Lord. Use me, Lord. That's, that's the prayer here. So, we don't come to God to impress God. Do you understand that? Do you get it? Because I think much of religion is, it seems, seems to send that message. And I, I don't want you to get... That message here. We come to God based on what He's accomplished through His Son, Jesus, and nothing else. Okay? Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. And we'll see this as, as we go. Remember Psalm 17.10 a few weeks ago? When you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Wow. So, in other words, if there's any fruit that comes out of my life, we're only doing what God has called us to do. All glory to Him. Never, this is the application, never come to God on the basis of personal goodness, but come to the basis on the fact that, oh, I haven't said this in a couple of weeks. Let's get this right. Are you ready for this? God is good. And all the time. There it is. You approach Him on that basis. Yeah, yeah. Kyle's over there applauding. Let's give God glory for His goodness. Can we? <laughs> that, that was really hard to do because some of you are writing notes and you had to set your pencils down and that's all good. It all works out. Uh, next thing is that this Pharisee was deluded about this tax collector. Notice his words. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like... And he really says other people, but if you connect the dots, he says, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. So, so what the problem is, is that this Pharisee could only see the tax collector as being the worst of sinners. And what he couldn't see is that, is that this 
tax collector was a potential living example of just how great the grace of God really is. <laughs> that the grace of God can reach the worst of sinners. Okay? Now let's just jump on here. Verse 13. But the tax collector, this worst of sinners, stood up or stood at a distance. Didn't even feel worthy to, to approach the front of the place here. Stood at a distance. Stood in the back. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's Jesus' conclusion. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you see what just happened here? The worst of sinners found himself welcomed in the presence of God while this guy who was held up in public as being so admirable was rejected and the difference was between pride and humility in approaching God. Reverent fear before God. It's the story of the prodigal son all over again and we studied that quite a while back. The, the prodigal son was the one who rejected his father, who rebelled and went away. But he came to his senses and he came home and humbled himself. While this older brother, the one who boasted about how good he was and how hard he worked for the father and how excellent at everything he was, Jesus doesn't tell us the rest of the story and he doesn't tell us that he ever even made it into the banquet. He leaves it open-ended. Because will we come to the place of brokenness before God or will we try to impress God with the things that we are doing? Is it possible to do all the right religious things and to live up to all the right religious rules and all the rules of the church and miss God? Absolutely. If your confidence is in something you've done or ever becomes that, something you've done to the point that now you are in a position of looking down your nose at everybody else. Again, 18 verse 14, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at Isaiah 57:15. It rings true throughout Scripture. For this is what the high and lofty one says. I just love that. Who, who is worthy of calling himself the high and lofty one? Yeah, but man, if I say it about you, oh, high and lofty one, it's humorous. Oh, you didn't think so, huh? <laughs> oh, dear. I, I, you guys don't realize, <clears throat> I uh, am experiencing God's blessing right now teaching because I'm feeling free. And I'm feeling relaxed. <laughs> Valerie's not here. She had an opportunity to jump in the car with her sister to go visit her mom, and that's so wonderful. Um, she, she did worship for so long, and having Alan here spring my wife up, and I love to see that a little bit. But I know Valerie prays for me every week. She prays specifically that my eyes will be clear, and I'm missing her here. I know others of you are praying that my eyes will be clear, but my eyes are not clear today. And yet my mind and my heart are clear. <laughs> and I feel like God is being glorified that even though I'm seeing through a dirty fishbowl, um, somehow things are working. And that's just so wonderful. So glory to God. Thank you, Lord. In my weakness, he is made strong. <clears throat> For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. 
I live in a high and holy place. Man, God just wants us to know what His position is here. Right? I live in a high and holy place. Now, here's the turning point. But also with Him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Oh man, that's our Heavenly Father. He wants to lift you. And then this, this final verse here in this section, First uh, Peter 5, 6. Would you read this with me? Let's read it together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Christ is enough for everybody. And if Christ can save you, there is absolutely no one outside of His reach. This is the message of this morning. I love the words of Paul here. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, and I love his emphasis, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Listen to this quote by Andrew Murray, and uh, then we'll move on. Well, actually, I want to do something, and we'll move on in a minute. He says, man's chief care, his highest virtue, and his only happiness now and throughout eternity is to present himself as an empty vessel in which God can dwell and manifest his power and goodness. Amen. I'm just going to get my guitar out for a moment, uh, and uh, I just felt impressed. These old songs sometimes, you may know them, you may not, but we'll just trust the Lord I'm being obedient here. You may just laugh at them, I don't know. Let's sit down here. I love how relaxed I am today. God, just may your peace always have through your reign. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up higher and higher. And He will lift you up, up into heaven. And He will lift Think you got that? Let's try it. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up higher and higher. And He will lift you up, up into heaven. to this a little bit build on it ladies I need you to echo here if the guys sing with me okay the way this works is this way some of you are trying to do this but maybe I can empower you a little bit we go humble thyself in the side of humble thyself in the side humble thyself in the side of the okay try it without me here we go 
Guys, you sing with me here, okay? Then ladies, you try your part by yourself, yeah. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Beautiful. Okay, now this next part, okay, where I was doing, uh, and he shall lift you up, you do the higher and hires and up into heavens, okay? And then the last one, we all come together. Okay, so can we try that? And he will lift you up higher. He will lift you up, up into heaven. And he will lift you up. Okay, let's try it without me this time, ladies. You do your part, okay? And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. Okay, let's put it all together now and see how we do. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. Okay, lots of words now. Get ready for this. Keep on the same theme, though. Just echo the words. Praise God to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> Praise God to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. To the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And He will lift you up. And He will lift you up. And He With the sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, and so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up higher. And He 
Okay, we'll go on. Well, it says make a joyful noise, so we're not always going to get everything right, but praise God, you sounded beautiful. Verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to himself and said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. So what I observe here, and I'm just always blown away by how the Holy Spirit works, okay? Because this is fully Holy Spirit directed. Because in one scene, in the same chapter, we have... These, these people being represented who are gloating in their own righteousness and looking down on others. And then the next day, Jesus is pointing to little kids and saying, hey, do you want to enter in the kingdom of God? Well, here's your example. Okay? I, just, I just absolutely love that. Now, it's very customary, and it was very customary in this day and age, to bring your kids to the rabbi to have the rabbi pray a special blessing over them. So what is the disciples' problem here? Well, if you read the commentaries, they'll say things like, well, the disciples were just looking out for Jesus because he was tired from a day of ministry and stuff like this. But really, I want to tell you... <laughs> well, maybe that's true, okay? <laughs> but if you really want to know what I believe... <laughs> Uh, it's this. Listen, <laughs> the disciples are still waiting for Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God and to destroy the Roman Empire. Kids are not soldiers in Jesus. They're not going to help us to accomplish our objectives. And isn't that just the way we are to want to hang out with those people who will advance our agendas or, or get us in the right position that we can accomplish our goals? And these kids aren't being helpful. They're just in the way. But frankly, this is not the first time these disciples wanted to send people away. Listen, if it were up to the disciples, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 would have never have happened. <laughs> okay? Send them all away, Jesus. It's supper time. If we're up to the disciples, the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 would have never have seen her daughter miraculously healed because the disciples wanted to send her away too. She wasn't a Jew. Send her away, Jesus. But think about these characteristics of a child. And I just had fun with this. Uh, listen to some of these. Children have a sense of wonder and mystery about life. Children have a sense of excitement and expectation. Children know how to receive gifts. Yes. And I, and I start some of these, and this is the first one I start. Number four, children have a great imagination for great possibilities. Right? Number five, children have great faith. They're not afraid to act on the stuff that they're learning. Okay? They get beyond their uh, inhibitions. Okay? Kids do. Uh, number six, children have a great capacity to love. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I better stop right there. Number seven, children find adventure in the simplest things. Number eight, children can be friends with anyone. We're talking small children here, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a place where this changes, but small children, they brought babies to them. Uh, let's see. Um, number nine, and I started this one. Children know when they need something 
and aren't afraid to cry out for it. Right? And we Americans just say, toughen up, work a little harder. If we could just cry out on occasion to our Father. And then this one, I gave a huge star, and, and I had to scribble it in here because it came to me sometime later. Listen to this one. Children don't gloat in their accomplishments, but anticipate what's ahead of them. <laughs> they don't have the certificates and the degrees on their walls. Everything's in front of them. Everything they will be. Right? I just think that's so beautiful. Jesus loves children. I love children. I hope our church sends the message. We love children because it's children that represent who will be in the kingdom of God. We have to become childlike, not childish, but childlike if we want to enter in. Valerie and I were getting ready to go to Tucson a few weeks ago to, uh, you know, to have the service for my brother. And we're waiting at the gate in Denver to get on this plane. And there's a couple of families that are slowing things down at the gate, all right? And, man, these kids, I mean, they're little, and they've got their own little suitcases. They're all bright colors. And it it is a beautiful scene. But in between myself and them was this single gentleman who obviously was getting quite annoyed with these kids. And so once these moms, and and there were a few dads, but it it was more moms than their kids, once they get everybody through, the, the gate, uh, this, this man looks at the gal taking our tickets and says, kids, that's something I've never done, and I'm glad. And, oh, I, my heart just ripped. And, and we have to be careful here because I, I don't want to gloat on my righteousness and look down at everybody else, but my heart just ripped. You know, as much as I love doing life with Valerie, Without Carlin and Cloyd, it would be so empty and so meaningless and so void. But the reality is, kids come at a great price, a huge price. But the only things that are worthwhile in life come at a great price. And you know, today I find myself, when I hear a kid crying, I just want to go over and say, can I help? Because I feel like I know what to do, you know? So, so we have to become like children. And so I pose these questions. What about you? Where are you? Have you lost childlike faith? Have you lost the sense of wonder and adventure and acceptance that a small child can have? Are you gloating in your credentials and your accomplishments? Or are you still anticipating the amazing things God has in front of you? Because as a believer, your best is always yet to come. Hold on to that forever. The kingdom of God is only available to those who approach God as small children. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. It's like climbing up in your daddy's lap and finding yourself safe. He knows the worst about you. Oh man, a woman broke down and cried this week and told me, about how a dad looked at his daughter and said, never contact me again as long as you live. And your Heavenly Father just keeps saying, come, come, come. You who believe, come still, just as you are. He accepted you then. He accepted you now. It's grace that saved you. When did grace stop working to where you began performing? 
Come, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pause and consider what the Spirit is saying this morning. This is between you and God. God, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do?